from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy to be here with you this Wednesday night. Welcome to the program. Here's the phone number if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And in the big story today, we've got Joe Biden, our president, Joe El Baboso Biden, as he's affectionately known on this program. He's canceled student debt for 150,000 borrowers. And I always say, will I be one of the lucky recipients? I don't know. But the Biden administration announced today that they are forgiving a total of $1.2 billion in student debt for uh, just under 154,000 people. And we have a clip of audio from President Biden. Listen to this. This is kind of relief can be life changing for individuals and for their families. And it's good for the economy as a whole by freeing millions of Americans from the crushing debt of student loan programs. It means they can finally get on with their lives instead of getting their lives being put on hold. They can think about buying a house, starting a home, starting a family having a family future that they can enjoy or saving for the family's future, saving and being away a little bit of money. I'm proud to have been able to give borrowers like so many of you the relief you earned. I promise you I'm never going to stop fighting for hardworking American families. So if you qualify, you'll be hearing from me shortly. Thousands of people per month or it was about 25000 a month, or every two months will be paid on a 50000 basis, but they're eligible for relief, and they'll be getting a letter from me, letting them know they're qualified. And when they get that letter, your debt's going to be forgiven. Wow, it's like Christmas in February. Joe El Baboso Biden strikes again. And let me tell you, while I don't agree that we should do this, I don't believe that this is a good idea. People, you know, made these plans. They got into these commitments. I'm one of those people. I went to uh, New York University. I took out loans, a lot of money, <clears throat> and uh, I fully expected to pay it back. And it takes a long time to pay it back. And I still have uh, some some of that debt that I owe. So, of course, I say I hope I'm one of the lucky recipients of of this debt, but not something that I think the government should really play a hand in. Let's stop for a moment and think about how attractive this is when you're a regular person and you hear this stuff and you think to yourself, man, that's great that I can go to school for free. I love Joe El Baboso Biden, right? That's what a lot of people are thinking when they hear that they don't have to make their three, four, five, six, seven hundred dollar a month payment. Now, of course, it's going to be on the backs of uh, other taxpayers because the government doesn't really have any money. Right. Uh, they, they've they've. Um, what's the word here? They purchased these loans, but they've made them um, Department of Education loans. So they're part of the Department of Education. Right. 
And, you know, the, the argument that they're making is that they're forgiving the debt, that the debt disappears. But the, does the debt really disappear? I mean, this has already been paid for. This is, you know, the, these lenders uh, are, are, are guaranteed, right? It's, it's called a guaranteed student loan. So the, the lender has to be paid back. Now, unless the government's cutting a deal with the lender and saying, look, no, we, we decided they don't have to pay you. Then the lender's out the money. Right now, maybe it's not the taxpayer that's paying, but now the lender's getting robbed. Either way, somebody's short here because the school got paid. And that's the part that I just don't understand how this whole um, cancellation of debt works. They make it sound so fancy. And then he makes it sound so uh, benevolent when he gets on there and he says, you know, you've been working really hard. You've earned this. (laughs) You've earned it. (laughs) Come on. Listen, I I, I think I work hard. I don't think I've earned uh, for anybody else to pay my student loans but me. Uh, I mean, if it was a perk of a job, that'd be nice. But listen, uh, I, I knew what I was getting into, and it, it, it is what it is, right? Uh, but he didn't stop there. He, he went on to say that student debt cancellation, it also helps people who didn't go to college. Now, this is where it's a hard sell. Listen to this. Look, folks, it's also helping you uh, who don't go to college. It's not just, you know, people say to me sometimes, well, Joe, that's great. You're helping people get into college. But how about all those hardworking people you grew up with in the neighborhood? How about all those folks in labor unions? How about all those hardworking people work with their hands? Why should they have? Well, just today, my labor department announced 200. This is not the student loan program, but $200 million in grants for registered, registered apprenticeship programs around the country while you can learn a skilled trade and lead to good paying jobs. You know, everybody thinks if you're an electrician, you say one day, I want to be an electrician. And you're all, you got to go to school, basically. These apprenticeship programs are four and five years before you qualify to have a license. They work like hell to get these licenses. And guess what? You work with your hands, you ought to be able to make a decent living. And that's why they're doing it now with my my, my position on organized labor. So it matters. So it's a one-two punch. Not only is he saying, look, we're going to take care of your debt so you don't have to pay back your student loans. You just got a raise in life. Super. And by the way, we're working on all these apprenticeships and infrastructure plans. And before you know it, you could be out there welding. I mean, this this is a blue-collar dream, right? Sounds like an election day ploy. Uh, can he pull it off? I mean, he'll pull off whatever he wants. He makes money out of thin air and 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 puts uh, the the onus on everyone not just those that are involved and that's really where i i, I don't agree with this but i'm not going to reject the relief of my loan i don't think you can anyway if you get selected you get selected i don't think you'd say hey by the way could you not forgive my loan i don't think that's an option so if i get that letter i apologize in advance but this relief comes through uh, something called save the saving on valuable education repayment plan which made changes to something called an income-driven repayment plan in the wake of a Supreme Court decision that told Biden you can't just go ahead and uh, cancel debt. So they decided, well, we won't cancel the debt. We'll change the way they repay it by making you repay zero. And that's, in effect, what they've done, right? So the burst, uh, the burst, excuse me, the first batch of loan forgiveness through SAVE is planned for July. But the... um, the Department of Education identified certain eligible borrowers even sooner. So here's a quote from Miguel Cardona. He says, this plan reflects our unapologetic commitment to deliver as much relief as possible to as many borrowers as possible as quickly as possible. Look at that. Now, Education Secretary Miguel Cardona um, also said that we're providing real immediate breathing room 
from an unacceptable reality where student uh, loan repayments are competing with basic needs. Okay, so because our basic needs, because eggs and everything else went up in price because you go to the supermarket and you get, you know, two bags instead of four for the same 150 or $200 that you were spending, you know, a couple of years ago during the Trump years. And because your basic needs are now competing with the money they're asking you for, they're giving you a break. You know, I think maybe just control inflation and then people can actually pay their bills. Anyway, under the save plan, uh, those who borrowed less than $12,000 can have their debt forgiven after 10 years of payments. Now, the thing is, these payments can be zero. So that really just means 10 years of debt. The education department will reach out next week directly to borrowers who are eligible for relief, but are not currently enrolled in the save plan. And uh, this goes on to say, uh, this is now Chuck Schumer, Senator Chuck Schumer. He says, we have to do more to cancel even more student debt. But today is a good day, and we applaud. Let me see if I can do it with a Chuck Schumer voice. And we applaud the administration for what they're doing. Anyway, folks, I, I want to continue um, our discussions tonight. I want to have a conversation with veteran broadcaster Lou Dobbs. He's scheduled to be with us a little bit later. And we're going to talk about uh, what he's going to discuss at CPAC and to get his reaction to this student loan debacle, as well as everything else that's going on in America at night. So don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, amigos. Welcome back, familia. Rich Valdez with you till 1 a.m. And uh, what a treat we have tonight to have veteran broadcaster you know him from cnn from fox from fox business channel uh he's the host of lou dobbs tonight you can catch that on frankspeech.com lou dobbs welcome to the program sir great to be with you rich you bet so i want to get a a a handle from uh, you on what's going on i talked a little bit uh earlier with uh with, with a couple of my colleagues about some of the things that that trump was talking about uh, last night at the town hall he had and he said his revenge will be his success. And I think that's fantastic. And he also alluded to some names that are on this imaginary VP shortlist. And I, uh, I, I think, you know, I think you should be on it, number one. But um, well, some of the names, you, uh, <laughs> I, I, some of the names I think are not to um, not to I don't think it'll happen like DeSantis and other things like that. But Christy Nome, I think, is a solid possibility, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sold on Tulsi Gabbard, but what do you think of this list and have you heard of it? Yeah, I've, I've been uh, looking at that just with this, I suppose the same uh, curiosity and, and, you know, putting my own valuation on it. Yeah. Uh, I think that, I think president Trump sort of, (laughs) he set the predicate for all of this, but he said the vice president doesn't do much. doesn't mean much. (laughs) I think if I'm, if I'm quoting him reasonably accurately, uh, I, I think the vice president should mean something and I think should be a significant asset to the administration. And I'm sure that he is thinking the same way because he's gone through a vice president uh, who was not uh, aligned with him 
uh, as uh, make America great again, uh, as America first. And the reality is that uh, that that position can be important uh, if it has a, a man or woman with immense talent, uh, a great loyalty to him and the principles of America first, uh, because he is the only person in the Republican Party. Uh, and I'm not speaking just as a presidential candidate or a former president. He is the only intellectual basis for the existence of the Republican Party right now. Yeah, I when agree. You look, when you look at what is happening in the Senate, uh, they muster 13 whole senators, uh, Republican senators, who can demand a trial for uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, I mean, that's pitiful. And you look right. over to the House and you're talking about a two-seat <laughs> two majority. This is madness. It didn't have to be. A hundred percent. And I've always I've said that often. And I'm glad you brought that up because I felt like the Republican Party kind of died toward the end of the Obama administration. There wasn't much left of it. And it was kind of just that permanent uh, Washington class. And Trump came and breathed new life into something that was dying and kind of took over and brought in new people and made it a populist movement. And it is what it is today. And there's still people, uh, maybe um, my former boss, Chris Christie, um, Nikki Haley and others that are trying to hold on to a Republican Party that once was, uh, but they're fighting the will of the people, right? We, the people, have spoken, and, and they're not looking to go back into that, that swamp yeah. route. So I think Trump's got his uh, work cut out for him in, in that respect. Uh, but I agree with you. We should have somebody that is capable and able and, um, and, and is also not going to get in the way and become a competitor of the president's. And I think there's always a risk of that. Which is why my, my vote was for Lou Dobbs, right? I think you, you have your head on straight and you know what's going on. But um, in, in actuality, I, I think it's probably going to be somebody that has experience as a governor like uh, Christy Nome, or, or um, that's really the only one I think that I see on the list that I'm looking at. So um, do, do you have a, a final pick on who you would, uh, not who you would endorse, but who you think he might go with? No, I, I think what I'm going to do is watch what he's, uh, he's thinking uh, and see what he judges and his team, of course, judge to be the person who has the greatest uh, uh, talent and gifts uh, and uh, capacity to to uh, help him uh, run the country. And, and I really think that has to be I, I would love to see it be a true partnership uh, with the vice president, uh, whomever it is, because uh, because that would mean that that person has. Uh, the ability to really expand his reach uh, and his authority across government. And that's going to be, as you know, one of the big challenges is to restore the will of the people and the consent of the governed as somewhat important, at least uh, to the permanent bureaucracy and the deep state. And yes, roll back the Marxist Dems to the point that they no longer uh, can be, uh, can be uh, in my judgment, at least determinate about whether or not we have a border, be determinate or not uh, whether we have 1,200 Americans in a, uh, in a gulag in Washington, D.C., uh, with uh, some of them, many of them, not having even had a trial set because they are uh, those political prisoners, those hostages, as the president says, are frankly a symbol and a signal to the rest of the uh, of America, and particularly to MAGA America, that don't you dare dissent, don't you dare buck the establishment, uh, and uh, 
and the Department of Justice. We're going to also watch a Department of Justice judging us next and what we think, what we feel. Uh, it's remarkable where we are. Uh, just yeah. the other day, we had Jake Sullivan say to everybody out loud, we find, we find the First Amendment not to be helpful uh, to the <laughs> national security interests of the United States. This man is out of his mind. He's a yeah. dullard. We knew that. But now he's bordering on insanity. It's, it's a difficult time to, to observe politics, uh, Lou Dobbs, because uh, so many people are really in it for solely for self-dealing. I think in the past that was a part of it that people expected that corruption could occur and some people were tempted with it. But uh, I feel like the majority of the people, especially those in power right now, uh, self-dealing is where they live. That's their that's their their um, their mainstay. And we're trying to get away from it. I don't know if we ever really get to drain a swamp, but I think our best shot at doing it is somebody who wants to drain the swamp. And there's only one guy out there saying he's going to drain the swamp, and that's Donald Trump. Same guy that they're trying to put in jail on 91 different felony counts and 100 or 400 years in jail and uh, $400 million nearly in a fine. And they're trying to take his buildings away today because (laughs) they're afraid he's not going to be able to pay. I mean, it's just absolutely insane what's going on. What what do you ultimately think uh, happens well, I think, first of all, what we're seeing, Rich, is, is an awakening of uh, the middle class in this country. Uh, we're seeing an, an awakening of s- certainly entrepreneurial, small business people as, as to what happens when you decide not to vote, what happens when you decide that there's not really much difference between the two parties. Think about this. We haven't heard people talk about that very much. They haven't said, you know, well, there's obviously no difference between the two parties. There is one party that bears absolute 100% responsibility for every disaster that we have seen unfold over the last three years, opening the southern border. Right. 15, an estimated 15 million illegal immigrants crossing that border into the United States, and we know not where they are, who they are, or what they're doing. We have a president who is obviously mentally uh, impaired, cognitively impaired, he, neurologically, he's not correct. Uh, we know that it doesn't matter whether, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a, you know, a doctor suggests a cognitive test or not. We know what we see. You're right. We know exactly what we see, Lou Dobbs. Folks, uh, we're coming right back with Lou Dobbs from Lou Dobbs Tonight. If you don't know him, shame on you. You should. He's a, he's a veteran in this game and worth listening to. We're coming right back with Lou Dobbs and me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Mr. Call Screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
the question about score settling, a lot, a lot of women, you know, they don't, a lot of women voters, they don't like the name calling, they don't like the score settling, they just, they love your policies, and they just want Trump's policies, maybe not so much of the other stuff. So I think that's what the, the question, well, no, if but, you don't mind my asking, I think that's what she's getting well, at. But, I, but also, you want to say, how do you get together? We're going to get together through success. When this country, the country was at a level that we've never, we had the best employment numbers in history, everything was good, and this country was coming together. Then we got hit with COVID, but this country came together. Uh, I don't care about the revenge thing. I know they usually, usually use the word revenge. Will there be revenge? Uh, my revenge will be success. That is, of course, the 45th president of the United States. I like to call him El Trompito, Donaldus uh, Magnus. And he was on uh, Fox News Channel uh, yesterday night with uh, Laura Ingram in a town hall saying the revenge will be his success. But one party frames this as, of course, um, revenge. And they, they won't let it go. Uh, Lou Dobbs is our guest. You know him from Lou Dobbs tonight. He's been on TV um, for, for decades and uh, has always had something uh, very, very valuable to offer. And Lou Dobbs is also the host of The Great America Show with Lou Dobbs. Lou Dobbs, when you hear uh, the Democrats characterize Trump's return as a, as a revenge, I think it really strikes a chord on what you were just talking about, which is the difference between these two parties, which isn't that different after all. Yeah, the, the two parties couldn't be more different. One is anti-American and the other is America first. I mean, it's not only that uh, the Dems do not want to be America second, third or fourth. Uh, yeah. They don't want it to be at all. Uh, mm-hmm. And President Trump and his philosophy is, is make America great. He's already demonstrated he has a record. He doesn't just talk. He keeps the promises he makes. And it's, it's interesting to hear more of. I sort of load up that question, uh, suggesting that, uh, you know, that women are just going to be, so, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, some sort of delicate uh, a gathering of flowers who just can't handle tough talk and, you know, rigorous thinking. I think that's, frankly, I think it's sexist on her part to suggest such a thing. Uh, I know that some would say, well, the demographics demonstrate uh, <laughs> that, that uh, white women, college educated, are the weak spot. Uh, the fact is, if that's their, the basis of their judgment, then they're, they have something to figure out, not President Trump, uh, nor the rest of the uh, Make America Great movement uh, and the America First agenda. Uh, it's really remarkable, uh, I think, Rich, to think what we're listening to and watching on media. And people have to remember, uh, across the broad spectrum of corporate media, uh, we're looking at pure propaganda, and uh, a lot of people, I'm sure, just recall with the very idea. But it's time that everybody grew up and understand where these messages are coming from, what is driving consumerism, what is negating individualism, uh, what is, in point of fact, a nation right now that is bombarded by uh, disinformation and misinformation campaigns. And by the way, that's your government speaking. Uh, and <laughs> we have to understand that the greatest, greatest attack on our minds, our consciousness and our desires uh, is from our own government running a propaganda campaign against the entire nation, uh, more so than they do even Russia, China. It's amazing to me to see how many people to find out so many people uh, are still unaware of what is happening. Uh, think about this. 
Mm. Vladimir Putin invades invades Russia uh, two years ago, February 24th, and uh, and we have we just happen to be moving right up to that, and here we are. Two years later, and we watch with Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin giving a master class on Russian history and European history and remarkably bright and learned and and full of life. And this we were told for two years that he was ailing after the invasion of uh, Ukraine. Uh, Then we found out he's really sick with some sort of mysterious disease. He's failing in health, we were told again by the CIA. Uh, and then we're told he's on his deathbed from cancer. And the next thing we know, we see him up on uh, <laughs> Dr. Carlson. Uh, brilliant, uh, articulate, uh, with depth and uh, command. Uh, and then we look over at the other channel, whatever channel you look at, let's say MSNBC, and there is right. our president, Joe Biden stumbling up an airplane. There is Joe <laughs> Biden who cannot put together a coherent sentence to save him, has to be assisted to a, a, a lectern or a, up a stage. And when he does say something, it's a mumble, it's a jumble, uh, and it's beyond a word salad because there's no way to dress it up. The man is impaired cognitively, mentally, and he's compromised. And no one can say with any degree of honesty, and a factual base that he is not compromised and that he is not incompetent and fully unfit for the presidency. Well said, Lou Dobbs. I think uh, Joe Biden has put America in peril in numerous ways, both his foreign policy, his domestic policy, his forgiveness of student loans, you name it. Uh, He's just spending money like it isn't his. Well, because it's not his. And he just prints more and more of it out of thin air and just contributes to inflation and puts us right back on the track to where we're trying to get away from. And uh, right. my hope is that that'll stop. But I'm, I'm presuming that these are some of the things that you address on the Great America Show with Lou Dobbs. Tell us about the podcast. Well, the podcast. Uh, thank you, Rich. The podcast is uh, the Great America Show, and it is on po- all podcast platforms. Uh, you can get it through LouDobbs.com as well, uh, is, and we're very proud of the uh, of the uh, of the podcast. And we bring, I think, a, a, a in-depth uh, thinking from some of the smartest people in the country, in my opinion, uh, and some of the most uh, important folks on Capitol Hill to talk about the policy issues and the politics of it all. And uh, and I hope everybody will give it a listen. And if people want to check it out, uh, is there a website specifically, just uh, LouDobbs.com, or is there one specifically for The Great America Show? Well, there's the Great, the Great America Show does have a landing page, but uh, just go to LouDobbs.com, and uh, you, you can look <laughs> at the smorgasbord of media properties. Yeah, well, I, but, yeah uh, I, was, I was just on there the other day, actually, and I was uh, sharing some, one of the articles you had on LouDobbs.com, and I said, man, that's... That's something that I didn't see everywhere else. So there's a lot of good information on there. Check it out, folks. And well, Lou you. Dobbs, you're at CPAC this week, and I know you're giving a big speech. We don't want you to spill the beans on what you're talking about. But what is the vibe over there, and, and what are some of the, the things that you think um, you might be touching on? Well, we'll definitely be touching on the, the, this political year, uh, this presidential election year. Uh, and we're going to talk uh, to a large degree 
uh, about the difference between the two parties. And we were, we were talking about that, that attitude that there's no difference between the two parties. I think both parties and, and folks who call themselves Democrats or Republicans understand clearly there is a vast chasm between the two parties. One uh, has to take responsibility for the fellow we were just talking about. What party, in its right mind, with the interest of the nation at stake, with the welfare of its citizens, uh, primary and, and proximate, what, what party would possibly put Joe Biden on the top of the ticket? And why would they do so? Because he, by the way, while he is impaired and is cognitively uh, now in rather rapid decline, he was the same fellow in 2020. Uh, and they knew it. That's why you didn't see him campaigning. <laughs> they were hiding him. Uh, and he didn't go out on the campaign trail. And when he did go out, you remember, there were, mm-hmm. you know, there were always fewer people than there were members of the press corps. To All greet. five of them. Yep. And, and the next thing we know, he's got 80 million votes. And I'll let people make their own decision about what uh, that means in terms of the election. But the reality is uh, the CIA, the the U.S. military, uh, the uh, the State Department, uh, the NSA and the intelligence community have combined to wage a war on Donald Trump. We are now in the ninth year of the of the attack on Donald Trump. Uh, And it's only because he brought policies and and leadership to the United States that was absolutely uh, oppositional to everything that the military industrial complex wants. They want war. They want a robust and aggressive foreign policy. Uh, Make America great again and America first means we have a modest policy. We don't want our troops in Europe. We want Europe's troops in Europe. Mm-hmm. And we want them to be responsible for their, their, uh, their, <laughs> the, the safety and security of the European Union. It makes only right. sense. The same way with the, region, you know, the regional issues in, in the Middle East. We are first and foremost committed uh, to the state of Israel. It, has been the, it is the largest democracy in the Middle East. It is uh, a nation that we will support, as far as I'm concerned, uh, forevermore. And the idea that suddenly in this country we see tens of thousands of, of people that said they're pro-Palestinian, when we're talking about Gaza, and when we're talking about the fact that Gaza elected Hamas to be their, their government, mm-hmm. th- their leaders, we're, we're talking about utter nonsense. And for this administration to embrace that is sickening. And to say to mm-hmm. Benjamin Netanyahu, for example, uh, no, we have a better way of uh, fighting. We want you to take the ceasefire, which will, of course, benefit no one other than Hamas. And we haven't won a war in, in decades. You have to go back to the Persian Gulf to see a win. Uh, we were just a disaster in our removal from our withdrawal from oh, yeah. Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan. So we have to focus on what the Democrat Party is responsible for. And it is responsible for so much evil and so much decline that we're witnessing in our major cities, uh, across our borders, both uh, north and south. Yeah. You know, Lou Dobbs, few put it out there as well as you do. 
Uh, but uh, you are a wealth of information, a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Folks, make sure you check out Lou Dobbs, uh, his great American show with Lou Dobbs. That's a podcast. Subscribe wherever you can. Check out the website, loudobbs.com. Uh, you can also check out Lou Dobbs Tonight. That's on uh, Frank's speech. You can get it right there on the same website. I know I check it out as often as I can. It's a great program. And uh, Lou Dobbs, you're a legend in the broadcast business. You're an inspiration to many of us. I want to thank you for being here. And Godspeed to you at CPAC this week, sir. Thanks so much, Rich. And it's uh, awfully good of you to invite me and enjoy uh, talk, talking with you. And uh, God bless you. Thank you, sir. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. We go to the phones. Uh, let's check in with Tom giving us a call from Arizona. Tuned in on KFNX. Tom, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Good evening, Rich. Uh, first of all, I just want to give you a, a call and let you know what a breath of fresh air that you are on the radio. I tend to listen to conservative talk shows all day, but I love the way you get guests from across the board. Oh, thank but you. The I real appreciate reason that. I was calling. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, the real reason I was calling, you got me all fired up about the student loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually ended up with about 700 credit hours, five degrees from Arizona State University. Man, you're smart. Paid? No, not <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> but. Uh, Paid for all of it, sometimes working two, three jobs, took out student loans. Right. I managed to piece it all together and retire as a professor from Arizona State University. Nice. And I have a pretty meager pension, but now I'm being asked to... To pay for my my loan. meager pension to pay back. (laughs) Well... And everybody else Biden's looking. I, I I haven't been included yet. I'm I, again. I got my fingers crossed that I'll be included. I don't think I will be. But um, yeah, I know what you're saying. You you worked hard. You busted your tail. It took you you know forever a millennia to pay uh, to pay off everything. Working as a professor, you know, probably adjuncting everywhere you could, and then all of a sudden, uh, here you are. Joe Biden comes in and says, you know what, Tom, Professor Tom, you know, you're you're getting the short end of the stick. And and you're not the only one, Tom. Right? I think there's a lot of people that are, are feeling the exact same way that you are. Cause they're thinking, man, I busted my tail and now, uh, now everybody else gets a free ride. Absolutely. One last point, the nail, the one that really drove it home at mm-hmm. ASU in jest, I made a comment to my colleague, make America great again. Mm. After 32 years, they did not renew my contract. 
<laughs> you know, I, I always tell people, but for the fact that I do what, what I do, and I, you know, I, I literally get paid to talk about my political opinions. Um, I don't know how anybody else manages to live life because people are so sensitive. You say the wrong thing. You know, I, if you listen long enough, you may have heard a story that I shared. I, I, um, I have my daughter's gluten free in her diet and I try to eat keto and, you know, which is no, uh, you know, no sugar, no carbs and whatever. And it's not easy to find a bakery that'll have brownies and cookies and all these things that are made from like, uh, um, crushed almonds as a flour instead of like wheat flour. And long story short, I went there and I've been going forever and I spent, you know, a considerable amount of money because they're more expensive, these pastries. Anyway, Tom, bottom line here is this woman, uh, lovely woman, she asked me a question, how the, how's the news business? And we're having a really nice, uh, pleasant conversation. And then she says, you got to see this story about uh, Trump. People think he's God now. And I said, oh, that sounds like a really good topic for the show. And, and we started talking and I said, yeah, it's not so bad. And she said, people that are black and brown like you and me, we can't do that. We can't support Trump. And she just scolded me and told me that basically, you know, my thinking was the problem. And she walked away from me in her own store. And I thought, my goodness, if this sweet woman, this elderly woman is going to treat me like that, imagine what else awaits the rest of us. I heard that story from you a couple of weeks ago, but it was mm -hmm. worth repeating for those folks that didn't hear it. Yeah. Tom, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. God bless you, my friend, and uh, keep up the good work paying off everybody's student debt. Everybody give Tom a round of applause. Uh, I say that in jest, but I appreciate the call. A big shout-out to KFNX. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. think, you know, what is going on here? And is it because of Biden's cognitive ability? Could that be why he's forgiving student debt and he's doing all of this, uh, what we would call crazy? No, of course not. This is a, uh, this is typical, uh, electioneering, if you will, right? He's just, this is uh, election year promises that he's willing to make and, and do what he's got to do in order to win. And, Ultimately, that's just how it is. And this is what we see time and again, right? We, we see it time and again. Anyway, I want to remind everybody that um, we're just wrapping up hour number one. Hour number two, action-packed, like a, like, a, like a Steven Seagal or a Die Hard movie. Listen, um, we've got a conversation on climate and energy, one of our favorites, right? We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and how uh, John Podesta may have influenced the recent pause on liquid natural gas. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that. I also want to talk about a beautiful success story, an American dream story from a kid from foster care. And you don't want to miss that. All that's coming up, plus your calls and more in Open Phone America. 833-482-5337 is the number. Make sure you're tuned in and locked in. Rich Valdez, AmericaAtNight.com is the website. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez, coming right back.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the program. If you want to join the show, it's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to uh, get into a number of things tonight. Of course, there's a little pushback. We'll talk about this a little bit at the top of the next hour. But those that uh, succumbed to the pressures of George Soros and many like him, that created pro-crime progressive prosecutors that coddle criminals. Well, there's some pushback. People are just tired of it, and they're tired of, of criminals getting their way. So we'll talk a little bit about what that backlash is looking like. Nikki Haley, of course, not going anywhere in the race. She says she's in it for the long haul until the American people close the door. And it seems the American people have closed the door, but she's still there. And I guess we'll find out this Saturday at the uh, South Carolina primary. And what else do we got here? We've got uh, James Biden and Joe Biden. Ah, that's a that's a sticky situation that uh, likely points to more criminality. And uh, of course, Biden is wiping out one point two billion dollars in federal student loan debt uh, in his latest attempt to buy votes. And those are just some of the headlines that I'm looking at right now. But there's a couple other stories I want to get to, and one of them has to do with the Biden administration. In my opinion, likely accepting influence from their, I don't remember what his position was. He was some sort of uh, like one step below the climate czar, John Kerry, John Podesta, and um, seemingly influenced this whole thing to, I'm not going to use the word suspend, but um, curtail some of the exports uh, for liquid natural gas. And of course, this country saw, I'd say, the the height of energy freedom, if you will, uh, you know, a couple of years back. And we've only seen it dwindle since literally the a day or two after Joe Biden took office. And it's gotten worse and worse ever since. And there's a lot of debate out there. Many people say, no, we're producing more energy than we've ever produced before. And that's a lie. Uh, Yet there's no proof because we've released tons of barrels of, of, of our strategic petroleum reserve in order to keep gas prices down. So I just, um, I, I, I weigh in on the side of this that says things are more expensive for me now than they were before. And it doesn't seem like we're doing any better in the energy production department, but I want to get into that. Uh, I want to, um, really, uh, kind of dig into this because I think it's important, right? We got to talk about what's going on with liquid natural gas and, the and the outcomes, right? The outcomes of Biden's policies, which, in my opinion, have not been good. But uh, I want to talk with Frank Lassay. He's president of Truth in Energy and Climate, and he's a former state senator in Wisconsin. Frank Lassay, welcome. Well, thanks for having me on. You bet. So let's talk a little bit about liquid natural gas and what John Podesta had to do with it. And maybe you could help us get to the bottom of the debate where some on the left say that we're producing more um, 
energy than we've ever produced before. And others are saying, no, we're not. We're dying. What's going on, Frank? Well, we are. Interestingly, we are producing a, a huge amount of energy or oil and natural gas, and it could be growing even faster. And this is against the headwinds of the Biden administration, against them uh, cutting off federal lands where the federal government gets the royalties rather than private people. And the government desperately needs money when they're $35 trillion in debt and a trillion Mm -hmm. dollars a year in interest payments. And to get get a little perspective, the world uses about 140 trillion cubic feet of natural gas every year. And the United States right now is exporting 12 billion cubic feet of natural gas a day. And they're estimating that by 2030, we'll be, we'll be um, exporting about 20 billion. What President Biden has done, and I think it, it's, you know, everything points to John Podesta, who's now going to take John, uh, uh, John Kerry's place as the climate czar and run around the world in a private jet, uh, jawboning, trying to cut back on, on fossil fuel use. It really does provide Fantastic. our... <laughs> um, it provides, yeah, it, it's, you know, the hypocrisy is amazing, yeah. um, but it provides, we need energy. Energy is what makes everything we eat, buy, consume, do, watch Netflix, use the computer, talk to you on the phone right now. All of those things use a lot of energy and Americans use more energy than anyone else. And we have better lifestyle on average than anywhere else because of that energy. So by cutting it back and making it more difficult, the prices go up. We're paying more because of Biden's policies. And now what he's done is put a hold on, and, and maybe permanently, the building of 10 more LNG export terminals. And each one of those hubs means about $18 billion of local investment, about 7,000 multi-year construction jobs, a lot of them union, high-paying jobs to build these huge uh, plants. And then it means that that uh, natural gas isn't going to go to Europe and Japan. That's where the majority of ours goes. Somebody else, like the Russians and the Iranians, are going to fulfill those orders or they're going to turn to coal, which India and China are already building literally hundreds and hundreds of coal plants. They are opening more coal mines. There's coal use all around the world. So even for saving the climate, supposedly, what this is for, which it does nothing for at all, it actually has the opposite effect because we have the cleanest natural gas harvesting in the world. So they're going to use dirtier natural gas from Iran and Russia, our adversaries. Uh, funding them to do more bad things in the world. On no level is this good for anyone. It's not good for Americans. It's not good for our, our, well, it's it's not good for our allies, but it's certainly good for Russia and Iran. So I guess it is good for somebody. And and that's, I guess, my my follow-up question to that is if we're pausing these uh, exports on liquid natural gas uh, because of of, uh, Podesta's uh, influence, then is this purely political? Is it to enrich um, our our enemies like Russia and China, uh, or or is there a- another plausible reason that is escaping me? Um, you know, I, it, it's his brother. I think John Podesta has outside influence, and also Biden is being pushed to do more for the climate. And these climate crazed people out there, and that's a large constituency of the left and of the Democrat Party. And folks, you've really got to be watching out for this because it's all one of the parts of their whole crazy woke agenda is to cut off our energy supply and to help regular people. No sane person would go on a diet and cut out 80 percent of their food um, just overnight or, or, or constrict it without having a new supply. And wind and solar cannot cannot fulfill the needs we have. We aren't building it fast enough, even if it could. So, it, and it's very expensive. Uh, paying for a full time keep the lights on, natural gas, coal, and nuclear 
electric grid and adding part-time wind and solar that you can't depend on, no matter how much we add, we still have to keep the full time on if we want to have the lights on like it's really cold and really hot. Um, so it's, it, it, there's a lot of bad policies in here. And I think that you know, part of it is satisfying the climate craze. And they're wrong, by the way. They're, they're wrong. Uh, the NOAA and NASA cook the temperature books. They've gone back and adjusted the historical huh. data. They've added a degree and a half of temperature around the world in the United States. Literally, they've added the degree and a half they're all complaining about we shouldn't get to. Uh. It's just made up. So we're doing it for no, we're doing it for a lie, first off. So we're doing this crazy stuff, and then we're borrowing money that we don't have to rack up a national debt, and then we're incentivizing and buying 80% of it is made and created in China, and they've got a lock on virtually all this green, green stuff. 80% of the solar panels are there made. Uh, 80% of the internal workings of the giant wind towers are, are made. They need a lot of different metals. Uh, the batteries are made in China. Graphite is solely, solely sourced out of China now. I mean, it's, it's really not benefiting America at all, and it's helping our adversary China and Russia and Iran. And this is the policy of the left. Now, Frank, let's say, um, as much as I like you, I've been hearing that there's been a very minuscule increase in temperatures, this uh, degree and a half you're talking about, um, for, for a number of years now. And I always thought this was gospel truth, and it just was an insignificant increase. Uh, you're saying that it's not even an increase? I don't believe it's an increase at all. If you look at the raw data from places that aren't in the city, what's going on is they've, they've used, as cities grow is well-known fact, nobody disputes it. It's called the urban heat island effect, and we've all experienced it. You drive out mm. in the country, it's cool. It's you know, 70, 80 degrees. You drive into the city, it's 6 to 10 degrees hotter. That's because they don't, they don't have trees, no grass, you know, the buildings, the air conditioning, the, the cement and everything. So there's an urban heat island effect. They have a majority of their temperature stations in urban areas that used to be rural areas. So as they've grown up, they've added all this heat. And then what they do is they, they homogenize it, they say. This is their excuse for changing it. So what they do is they warm the country rural ones that haven't gotten hotter, <laughs> conflating the, the, the ones that are now urban that used to be rural. They, they're doing, and they're doing this across the world. They're doing it all over the world, and they're at mainly at airports. Uh, that's another part. They're at airports. What do you think happens at the Miami airport? How does it compare to the temperatures <laughs> in 1950 yeah. at the Miami airport? Yeah, it doesn't right. take a lot of you know a lot of you know uh, critical thinking to go. Wait a minute, there's not something right with this. Um, it is warmer now than it was in 1850, and thank goodness it's warmer than the little little ice age, also known as pre-industrial times that are supposed to be so wonderful. Um, and it was warmer back when the Vikings settled Greenland. It was green there. It was war a thousand years ago when, tree when trees were growing in Alaska underneath glaciers now. They're coming up a thousand years ago. We're finding these things around the world are coming out from underneath glaciers. Well, they didn't get, they got there. People, people didn't dump them on top of the glaciers. They, they were there before the glacier came. And now we're seeing them again. So they've been lying to us, creating hysteria because it's part of a, a larger global agenda. And the leftists in our country and across Europe and Canada, they've gotten a hold of our, gun, our, our governments, and they're pu putting the globalist leftist agenda, the crime in the cities you're talking about, part of the leftist agenda. Make them all angry at each other, get, get you frustrated enough, start shooting each other. This is all part of it. So they can tear us down to gain control is what they really want to do. Wow. So they're telling folks to not have kids. They're telling people to eat bugs for protein, 
stop eating meat and stop farting, and that's somehow going to save the planet, and they're making it all up. Folks, we're on with Frank Lassay, president of Truth in Energy and Climate, uh, former uh, state senator out of Wisconsin. We're going to continue with him straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our conversation with Frank Lassay. He is former uh, state senator in Wisconsin and president of Truth in Energy and Climate. And Frank, if all of this happens with uh, the Podesta brothers plan to curtail this, uh, the exports of liquid natural gas, what will that do to emissions overall? Well, emissions will go up around the world because we're when we we've overregulated our energy market here. You know, something else the greenies want, and oil and natural gas here cost more to extract. That's why we um, it's just an added cost, so it drives up the cost. Uh, in other places like Russia and Iran and the Middle East, they flare a lot more natural gas when they're harvesting it. And they lose a lot more because they they just have so much of it, and if it's not economical. You you just lose it into the air. So they're using a lot dirtier um, natural gas that's harvested harvest that way. And it, worldwide, we're using eight and a half billion tons of coal, and the communist Chinese are using more than half of that. And we're going to see more coal usage as well if there's not enough LNG coming on the market to satisfy worldwide demand. Regardless of what the greenies like or want or care about. 2.8 billion people live in China and India, and they literally have almost maybe a billion people that need a lot more electricity. And they're going about getting it, and the vast majority of that they're going to get from coal. So as John Kerry, our, our climate envoy, our, our, our climate gadfly in a private jet has told us, no matter what we do, even if we go to zero, it matters not at all. And China has more emissions, if that's important. They have all more real pollution, is actually, because they don't use clean coal technology. Right. So they have more pollution, but they have more emissions than all the developed countries in the world, including the U.S., put together. Put together. Wow. So all of the rest of the developed world emits less CO2 than China. So when we drive up our electric costs, and it's going on in Germany right now because their electric costs, and this is our future unless we change course, folks, so this upcoming November is hugely important, they're paying triple what we're paying on electricity and hasn't even stopped going up. They're going to pay quadruple or quintuple, or I, I don't even know the end, end in sight because they haven't even built out all their wind and solar. They truly cost more, folks. That's the other big lie. Um, wind and solar costs us a lot more. It's think about it. If you got a, a solar car that only worked when the sun shine, could you get rid of your full time car? So now your right, car costs not. just went up. They just went up. And their answer is, well, buy two, buy three. Well, now buy a wind car. Well, you can't even take a wind car to work or to the kids' soccer game because you might not get home. So you got to keep your full time car and keep paying for it. Then you got to keep paying for the rest and make the analogy even more. 
you have to build garages for all of them and pay for that too because you have to build transmission wires to all over the heck to place to mm-hmm. take the wind and solar power from where it's being produced to the cities where it's needed because you don't want to put those those uh, solar plants that raise the temperature. There's another thing. Wind and solar both raise the temperature. Harvard study out. If we built out the three, 400,000 wind towers we'll need for our electric grid, the way the Greens claim, it'll raise our temperatures by about a half a degree across the country. All those solar panels, and now in Wisconsin, they're building two square miles of solar panels. It's the first installment of 10 square miles of solar panels. When all those are up and it's a hot, sunny day, they're going to raise the temperature by 20 to 30 degrees. Now, it's not a big deal when it's rooftop, but it adds that urban heat island effect that is driving up the temperatures that NOAA reports to us. But when you have 10 square miles of solar panels, the heat rolling off of that, the heat. Now, wait a minute. We're not supposed to be. We're we're heating the world to cool the world to save the world from overheating. It's the crazy lefty world that we're living in. Um, The other part is water vapor. Water vapor is the most important abundant greenhouse gas. We don't talk about it. It's ignored. It's pretended as if it doesn't exist. It is. There's no disputing that. The IPCC, everyone who really understands this stuff knows water vapor is driving our greenhouse effect. Major and most important, NASA will tell us that. It's 50 times more abundant than methane or than CO2. 50 times more than CO2. It's 10,000 times more abundant than methane. And they're using methane to cut back on cows and on farming. Now here, listen to this. It's 60,000 times more abundant than nitrous oxide. 60,000 times more abundant in the atmosphere. The nitrous oxide that they're using as an excuse to cut back on fertilizer that feeds half the world. These people have an anti-human agenda. They want to drive your food costs up, your energy costs up, make them short so they can ration them and give us CO2 ration cards, like a credit card. When you run out of enough CO2 rations, you can't buy beer at the end of the month. You can't right. buy anything except for bugs wow. that they might want to get you to get used to. <laughs> that is crazy stuff. Now, uh, I want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to, to keep up with you and all the work you're doing at uh, Truth in Energy and Climate. So, Frank, let's say, let everybody know how they can follow you, what your website is, and what your social media handles are. Yeah, it's, it's truthinenergyandclimate.com, and it's the same handles on Facebook and Instagram and on uh, Twitter. And we have a weekly email newsletter on energy and climate. We do some unique things in there that you'll find of interest. So you can go to our website and sign up there, truthinenergyandclimate.com. Have a- All right, truthinenergy.com, truthinenergyandclimate.com. Frank Lassay is the president. Make sure you check him out. Folks, we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. With Rich Valdez. So a couple of years back, uh, New York Times runs an op-ed. And the title of the op-ed is, Why Being a Foster Child Made Me a Conservative. Now, if you think that's a pretty attention-grabbing headline, I think you'd be right. Uh, The author of that is Rob Henderson. He's a columnist and an author. He's written a book called Troubled, a memoir of foster care, family, and social class. And he's our guest now. Rob Henderson, welcome, sir. Hi, Rich. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, sounds like a great uh, 
uh, a great American success story. Started out, you know, rough, but ends really well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the the uh, attention that you caught when you wrote this New York Times op-ed. Uh, why did you write it, and what was some of the reaction you got? Yeah, well, it was, um, you know, these were ideas that were swirling in my mind ever since I left home. I grew up in foster care. Um, I mean, I, I was born into poverty. My mother was addicted to drugs, and that was why I was placed into care. Never wow. knew my father. A lot of drama and catastrophe and tragedy throughout my early life, which I describe in Troubled. And I fled as soon as I could. I enlisted in the Air Force when I was 17. And once my life started to turn around and my future got a bit brighter, I started to think about the factors that contributed to my you know, relative success, uh, especially in comparison to how things could have gone. And in that op-ed, I concentrate on the two factors of family stability and personal responsibility. Um, I describe the periods in my early life when I had uh, a somewhat stable home life and uh, parents or parental figures who would look out for me. And that's when my life was relatively stable. And that's when I had some good role models. And then later, the decision to join the military and start to take responsibility for my own life and my own future uh, instead of, you know, blaming others or pointing the finger or figuring out who was responsible for my misfortunes, um, you know, taking that sort of complete ownership over my future, that also led me to you know, succeed in the military and then later uh, find my way into college. You know, I got to tell you, remarkable. Uh, a couple of years ago, I met somebody who was a tech entrepreneur and it started a nonprofit because somebody had hit him with a statistic that blew him away. And then he shared that statistic with me. And I don't think it's changed. It's been pretty steady, remarkably consistent for a number of years or even a number of decades. And the statistic is this, that 80% of kids that come out of the foster care system end up incarcerated or homeless. And I was, I was shocked at this number. I mean, I had no idea. I figured that might be the fate for some. I didn't think it was that high. And it might even be higher today than it was a couple of years ago when it was shared with me. And in, in looking at the information on my show sheet for, for your book and for, for this interview, it, it says that, that that op-ed that you wrote in the New York Times, it ran the same day that you graduated from Yale University. And going to any university is, is not... Um, uh, something that many expect kids in foster care to do, let alone going and graduating from Yale. What was different for you that you were able to, to, to hold on to these beliefs that you were just sharing and that, you know, you, you believed in personal responsibility and, and how did all that happen? How did you beat the odds? Yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I cite this statistic uh, in that op-ed and, and in the book as well, that, only 3% of foster kids graduate from college. Um, and, you know, just as, a, as by way of comparison, 11% of kids uh, from families in the bottom income quintile graduate from college. So, in other words, a child born into a poor family in the U.S. is four times more likely to graduate from college than a child in foster care. Mm -hmm. And so the odds really are against you. Um, you know, there were some factors in place that maybe, you know, uh, that... There, were, there weren't much, 
there weren't many options as far as like modifying or manipulating or changing them. I was always kind of a naturally curious kid, but I was so weighed down by the really difficult experiences of my early life. And so, you know, a point that I try to make in the book is that even if you have a kid who's kind of reflective and curious and academically inclined, if, you know, I, I was moving homes every six months, changing schools all the time, you know, there was a lot of adoption and separation and divorce and drama. And with all of that swirling in the background, I just didn't have the stability in place and the predictability for my latent potential to shine through. And it wasn't until later uh, in the military where that was able to express itself, those good parts of myself and my good traits. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, along the way, picking up good advice from mentors, from role models, there was a you know, one reason I joined the Air Force was because I had a male teacher, a history teacher, who kind of picked up on the fact that I was a sharp kid, even though I wasn't doing homework. And even though I was kind of unfocused in class, he pulled me aside and he was like, look, I, you know, you and I both know you're not going to college. I mean, you're barely passing this <laughs> class. Wow. But here, take a look at this. And he showed me a picture of himself uh, in his military uniform from wow. back when he was in the service. And I looked at that and I thought, hey, that looks pretty cool. Um, and so that planted the idea in my mind of, you know, that was an option for me. And so I think small moments like that, you know, if you see a kid who has some potential, just, you know, giving him some good ideas and, you know, kind of nudging him along, uh, you know, away from, away from detrimental outcomes and maybe towards something more productive. Be the person that gives a damn. That's really good advice. And uh, too Mm. few people do that today. Folks, we're on with Rob Henderson. He's a columnist and author of the book Troubled a memoir of foster care, family, and social class. We're going to continue our conversation with his uh, journey uh, through the foster care system and into writing this book and and coming up with ideas that seem very um, logical yet um, are hard to believe for, for someone that came from, from a really difficult uh, circumstance as he did. So, uh, Rob Henderson, stick with us. Uh, America, we're coming right back. If you want to join the program, 833-482-5337 is the phone number. Open Phone America is coming up at the top of the next hour. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who, again, will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. It's quite an American dream, the uh, success story that we're talking about right here. Rob Henderson comes up out of a foster care system, uh, makes it into Yale University. Now he writes books and he writes articles, and it's a tremendous story. The book is Troubled a memoir of foster care, family, and social class. And Rob Henderson, uh, there are a a number of ideas that you label as luxury beliefs, right? Coming out of the Air Force, you you suggest that these ideas and opinions um, really confer status on the upper class while in 
inflicting the costs on the less fortunate. And I think that's a great way of putting it because I agree with that. Ideas like defunding the police or being healthy at every size, what I like to say, glorifying fatness. And this is coming from somebody that used to weigh 270 pounds. Um, I, I, I get that idea where people are like, oh, you look good at that size. Yeah, but you're going to drop dead at 50, you know, and that's the part nobody's talking about. Or saying that marriage is just an oppressive uh, institution of the patriarchy. And, and we hear these things so often. How did your beliefs on these ideas not go the way of most at Yale? Well, when I arrived on campus, Rich, at Yale, this was 2015. I had just served eight years in the military, so I was a little bit older than a lot of the other students on campus. Um, I'd lived a very different life than many of them. Um, You know, there's a statistic I cite in the book that there are more students from families in the top 1% of the income scale than the entire bottom 60% at Yale and most other elite universities in the U.S. And so you know, they just had a completely different upbringing than me and were <laughs> more sheltered than I was, quite frankly. And so not only my experiences in the foster homes and growing up in these kind of poor and working class areas and then you know, joining the Air Force when I was 17, get to campus and, you know, suddenly I'm seeing, you know, the sons and daughters of millionaires describe how unsafe they felt because someone sent a mean email or someone uh, used the wrong term or, you know, made some kind of remark that would be perfectly uh, acceptable in just about every other corner of American society, but in elite institutions, you know, things like, you know, it's good to call the police if there's a crime going on. I mean, after 2020, uh, that has become a controversial statement um, that is actually good to have law enforcement and to contain violence and crime and looting and shoplifting, and that it's good. I mean, as an ideal, it's good for kids to be raised in two-parent families and Look, I'm well aware that there are exceptions, and, you know, I knew people who were raised by single moms. A lot of my friends growing up were raised in single-parent homes. I, for a time, was raised by a single mom, so I know that life is messy and people are complicated, but it's just a fact that, statistically, you know, if you want the best outcome for a kid, to have a sort of stable two-parent home is uh, the best way to set a kid up for success. And so, you know, I would hear students at these institutions, you know, Yale and others, um, say that, you know, they thought marriage was an outdated, oppressive institution. And then I would learn that they themselves had been raised by two parents. They planned to carry this forward for their own kids, but their official public position was that, oh, we, you know, we need to dismantle the, uh, you know, this oppressive, uh, uh, you know, monogamous commitments and, you know, move towards something beyond that. And it was just uh, newfangled and strange to me. So I coined this term luxury beliefs. And a core feature of a luxury belief is that the believer is sheltered from the consequences of his or her belief. And so, you know, if you implement, you know, these these policies and ideas, defunding the police, uh, discarding the importance of marriage, of, uh, you know, all all of these kinds of, you know, strange and provocative ideas, if you are uh, in a gated community and everyone around you went to college and you live in a low crime area and so on and so forth, you know, you can bear the cost of, you know, having having these ideas and can shield yourself from them when they are implemented and the rest of society gets to deal with rising crime rates and deteriorating families and so on and so forth. Outstanding. It really is a remarkable story. And I want to continue and, and wrap up with you and let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book. Folks, we're on with Rob Henderson. He's the author of Troubled, a memoir of foster care, family and social class. 
We're coming right back with him. Then we're getting to your calls at the top of the hour. Again, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Riveting story here, honestly. Uh, a real, um, I want to say, rags to riches, American dream type of story <clears throat> of Ryan Henderson, author of Trouble, the memoir of foster care, family, and social class. Ryan Henderson, uh, in the couple of minutes we have remaining, I want you to give uh, the listeners a real uh, good understanding of what they can walk away from the book with. Well, there are a few different uh, strands and ideas that I communicate in the book, but one of the main ones is the importance of stability for kids. You know, the first half of the book mostly concentrates on my upbringing in foster homes and in really uh, unstable family situations. And so that's one piece of it. And then the second would be uh, this, the importance of understanding class divides in the U.S., so there's a lot of focus, I think, on Democrat versus Republican or black versus white or, uh, you know, these, these different um, factions that we pay a lot of attention to, liberal versus conservative, but there's not a lot of attention paid to class, uh, differences between working class and upper, upper middle class, educated people versus people who didn't go to college. I'm talking about college, formally, you know, formally educated. Um, there's different kinds of education, I understand, but you know, college educated. And that life looks very different for people who didn't take that path and that there are different ways to live a fulfilling life and that you don't necessarily have to take the path that I took. And, you know, I had five close friends growing up. I didn't want this to just be that kind of bootstraps story, the rags to riches idea that you mentioned earlier. I mean, there is that in the book, of course, but I also describe five of my close friends growing up and that I went to high school with and where their lives ended up. And... Like these guys were, um, you know, they they were not necessarily the most interested in, you know, class and schoolwork and all this kind of stuff. Like no matter what environment you place them in, it's not necessarily clear to me that they would have gone on to uh, achieve, you know, uh, astounding academic success. But I did have two friends who went to call, uh, to to prison, and then I had one friend who was shot to death. And I do think that if they had had different upbringings and had been raised with different kinds of values and had had different adults around them with different priorities, yeah, maybe they wouldn't have gone to college, but I don't think that they had to go to prison. I don't think they had to be uh, murdered. I think they could have had uh, fulfilling lives in other ways other than education, which is we tend to focus on that a lot in this country. And yes, it worked for me, and it can work for certain people, but I don't think it should be for everyone. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Everything has to be approached with a grain of salt and lots of common sense. 
Now, mm. let um, everybody that's listening know how they get a copy of the book. What's the best way to get a copy of the book? How do they follow the work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, there, of course, you can get it at any uh, bookstore um, and online as well. So, you know, wherever books are sold. You can also uh, read excerpts of my book um, and commentary and so on in, uh, on my website, robkhenderson.com. Uh, I also release weekly posts and ideas and thoughts. And um, yeah, I mean, I've been writing now for a few years. Uh, ever since receiving my PhD, I've sort of gone in this more independent writing direction. And yeah, I've managed to build something of an audience and people seem to be connecting with this work, especially people who themselves have experienced some social mobility and who also maybe feel a little bit alienated and like outsiders when they enter these environments where people are attempting to defy conventional wisdom with their luxury beliefs. And I think that this framework that I've developed helps, helps people to, to understand what's going on. And uh, are you on social media where people are able to, you know, um, follow you, the work you're doing or is it just the website or the book? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter slash X. Uh, so my handle is Rob K. Henderson and uh, on Instagram as well, Rob K. Henderson. And final thing I, I'd like you to share with us is for everybody that's listening, that's found themselves in your position, right? Somebody who came up in foster care might be in foster care right now. The audience is very vast on this program. Uh, what's your word of advice? Um, maybe not singular advice, but, um, most prominent advice for somebody that is facing those types of adversities? Yeah, I mean, I would attempt, so, so just very sort of practically in concrete terms, try to find at least one you know, older sort of mentor somewhere. It could be a coach or a teacher or just someone uh, who you trust and who seems to have your best interest in mind and you know, try to, try to stick with that person as best you can, even if you're moving to different homes or different schools or what have you, it just helps to have one adult around or one mentor around who you can trust and communicate with. And, you know, this is um, a consistent finding in research that, you know, one of the predictors of a kid who's growing up in instability is, you know, having that one mentor uh, can, can really help uh, a great deal. And yeah, other than that, to, you know, Try to try to imagine what your future would look like, and if the decisions you're making now will help you to construct a firm bridge to that future. That was another reason why, personally, I enlisted. You know, I know the military isn't for everyone, but for me, when I considered when I was 17, you know, what is my life going to look like when I'm 21 if I'm continuing on the path that I'm on now? And I knew it didn't look good, and so I figured, you know, that was one way to to sort of redirect my trajectory. Folks, get a copy of the book, Troubled, a memoir of foster care, family, and social class. The author, Rob Henderson, is uh, he's, he's, he's a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. And, Rob, I thank you for being with us. Thank you, Rich. You bet. Folks, we continue with more Straight Ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night 
with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you on this Wednesday evening. The phone number, 833-4825-337, 833-4-VALDEZ. It's technically already Thursday where I am, but, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not much of a, a technocrat. <laughs> I'm using that improperly, but hey, anyway, welcome to the show. And I want to uh, talk about a number of things tonight. We're going to go through some of the audio uh, that we have here. But I also want to talk about a story, a particular story, of Corinne Jean-Pierre. Right? Corinne Jean-Pierre is upset that the New York Times has lost their journalistic objectivity. And she says that it's in question because they wrote a story about President Biden's health. Now, of course, President Biden's health comes into question all the time. Uh, but when the New York Times does it, well, you can't. Kind of sounds like Hunter Biden laptop. What are you, a misinformation guru from the Russians? Hmm. Are you working for Vlad? Are you living your life making bad decisions? Is he going to eulogize you and pay the Russian television? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, I do know that Karine Jean-Pierre and her boss, Joel Baboso Biden, um, they seem to be getting their, is it okay to say panties in a bunch or panties in a twist? Because it seems like that's what's going on there. And, I mean, come on. You, you got to do better. You got to do better. I mean, everybody and, and, and their mother is questioning Joe Biden's mental fitness. I think you've just got to come up with a better response than blaming the journalists or even the pseudo-journalists at the, the uh, New York Times for questioning what's going on with his health, right? But anyway, here's a little clip from Karine Jean-Pierre. Listen to this. The publisher of The New York Times has talked about getting flack from the White House for its coverage of the president's age. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you think is sort of fair game when covering the nation's oldest president and what might be off limits? So, look, I mean, a couple of things there that I would say uh, on that um, on that particular particular item. Look, you know, and... You know, you you all ask me pretty regularly about the president's age, and we lay out what our perspective is. We lay out what we see. We've seen this president do in the last three years, which is deliver on historic historic piece of legislation that's going to change the lives of Americans for generations to come. Uh, that so what? Now to your question more specifically about um, about the New York Times coverage is that uh, that display what we believe a journalistic objectivity about coverage of the president's age speaks to why we agree with former New York Times public editor Margaret Sullivan. And she says, maybe the Times and other major media outlets ought to look in the mirror, self-scrutiny and, and course correction are not among their core strengths. And I'll leave it there. Oh, course correct. Anyway. Yeah. So Karine Jean-Pierre uh, basically says they're the ones that are wrong. Yada, 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 yada. Now, I don't know. I don't know who's wrong here. Uh, I think the time should be doing that. I think KJP has a responsibility to lie through her teeth to protect her president, right? That's kind of her job. But she's got to be better at it than just uh, throwing a little shade here and there. I think she needs to really 
make the case, you know, um, I would say, you know, how many people in their 80s can fall up a flight of steps, get up and not skip a beat, keep going? How many guys, you know, falling off their bicycle, get right back on and eat some ice cream? You know, make, make light of it. Do a little Reaganism if you can, you know, and, and really just uh, continue to point out his virility and say, you know what? How many guys in their 80s that are president do you know that have dogs getting kicked off the White House grounds because they're biting everybody? Where do you think those dogs are? That's right. They're at Biden's Rehoboth Beach House. And when he's there on the weekends at the beach house, he's there with these vicious dogs and he's as virile as can be running along the beach alongside Commander and, and, and all the rest of them. Right. You've got to try and dress it up a little bit better uh, rather than, uh, I think, just blaming the reporter for asking questions and saying, hey, your journalistic integrity is a thing. So I don't know. Maybe that's my thought. You let me know if, if I'm wrong on that. But there's a there's a much to, to be discussed there. I also want to bring your attention to a particular story. This one's interesting. Right. Uh, let's see. This is uh, somebody who's clearly not right in their head. <laughs> uh, listen to this. Syracuse mom blends in with students, bursts into daughter's classroom, and breaks teacher's nose in front of 25 kids. This is a piece in the New York Times. We've got some audio to go along with this. Check this out. 31-year-old Lenzina Sutton has been ordered by the court to stay away from a teacher at Lincoln Middle School after being accused of bypassing school security and hitting the teacher multiple times last Friday morning. Sutton was arrested Friday on assault and battery charges. Her bail was set at $5,000 cash. The teacher was taken to the hospital. Onondaga County District Attorney Bill Fitzpatrick says from what he understands is that a number of students in a classroom witnessed the assault. He says the teacher has broken facial bones from being hit in the face and her nasal passages were severely affected. Uh, it's disturbing to me that she was able to enter the school. Um, you know, the security is ineffective unless it's absolute. Mm -hmm. uh, it gets tedious, it's monotonous, it can be boring. But unless you're vigilant 24-7, uh, it's meaningless. And I don't know what happened here. I hope it never happens again. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, Delaware is going to have to, or Lincoln, excuse me, is going to have to address that. It's Ashley Gaffaro, News Channel 9. So this Syracuse mom, like uh, the report just indicated, she busted into her daughter's classroom, repeatedly punched her teacher in the face, uh, breaking several bones, and uh, at least 25 horrified kids looked on, according to the police report. And uh, the name Lindsia Linzina, excuse me, Linzina Sutton, 31 years old, arrived at Lincoln Middle School on Friday with her mother, Roxanne Tompkins, and both of them attempted to make their way past security. Now, the day before... Ms. Sutton's daughter had told her teacher, my mom will handle this after she was disciplined for allegedly lying about her whereabouts during the school day. Oh, yeah, yeah. So she cut class, got in trouble, and she said, I'm telling my mama. Now, Sutton then uh, headed to her. Let's see. Hold on. Now, while Tompkins was prevented from entering the school the next morning, uh, Sutton, who is much shorter. Listen to this. Uh, I can't say weighing in, but... Uh, Measuring in at four feet, 10 inches, Ms. Sutton had her hood pulled over her head and was able to blend in with the other kids. 
You can't make this stuff up. Sutton then headed into her daughter's classroom, proceeded to punch the female teacher in the face as traumatized uh, students looked on. Oh, my goodness. This is something. Now, the victim uh, was described as a dedicated veteran educator, suffered a concussion, uh, broken bones in her face, as well as bruising, and she's going to have some long-term issues that you heard there in the uh, in the report. And I can tell you, my nasal passages are always kind of screwed up, uh, and nobody's punched me in the face. Imagine, imagine uh, you know, having to go through all that. Sutton managed to leave the school after the beating, but was later arrested and charged with burglary and assault. The shocking incident uh, spurred the uh, Syracuse School District uh, Anthony Davis and the police chief, Joe Cecile, to hold a joint press conference on Tuesday, saying this, when people are dedicating their lives to educating our students, they shouldn't have to worry about this. Now, listen, I think I agree with that. No teacher should show up to work thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get punched in the face. Although I think there's an unwritten rule that you're dealing with people's children and watch out because parents will take things seriously and personally when it comes to their children. So I think that that's always, a, you know, you get upset with your waiter, you flip them the bird, you don't give them a tip. But when you get upset with somebody that's, you know, teaching your kid, you might be a little more aggressive in your uh, protest, if if you will. So I'm wondering, Radio Land, um, have you ever beat a teacher up? Ever snuck into a school and, you know, put a beating on a teacher for what they did to your kid? Uh, or, um, you know, what's your opinion on this? I think the lady's out of control. I don't think you're allowed to go into schools and beat on anybody. But interesting, nonetheless, that, you know, at some, at some point they felt this was the right thing to do. I'm going to go in there and set you straight. So curious on this one, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Amigos, welcome back. And I'm looking forward to getting your opinions on this because we've had a number of topics tonight, whether it was uh, the topic of the young man that grew up in foster care, went to the United States Air Force, and then uh, graduated from Yale University and has a Ph.D. now and is writing books about it, or uh, the mom that went into the school, sneaking into the school because she's short enough to pass as a student and had her hoodie up so nobody could see her face. I want to talk about that. Uh, plus, of course, we had a great conversation with Lou Dobbs earlier about uh, lots of things, just really the state of affairs in the United States, and you can catch him at CPAC uh, this week. But I want to get your thoughts and opinions on everything that's going on. 
Let's go to Watertown, New York, WTNY. Let's check in with Trixie. Trixie, how are you? You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. How are you? Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I was calling to um, just give an opinion about the mother who snuck into school. Of course. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, what is she teaching her child, you know, by her reaction and what she's doing um, instead of supporting the teacher and there being some kind of consequence for um, skipping school or whatever the case was not not going, um, you know, she's teaching her child, first of all, violence and, you know, just, yeah, I just, it's bad parenting, just bad parenting. I, I agree. And, you know, Growing up, I was taught that there's there's no such thing as bad kids. There's bad parents. And people always argue that with me. But I I tried to raise my kids under that impression so that, you know, realizing it always comes back to me in one way or another. And I got to tell you, um, I I tend to lose my head often or at least did. I'm a lot better now. Um, I don't even think it's age. I just think it's I matured late in life. And. Uh, there's many a time where I think that's called for, even though I know it's wrong. But uh, I got to say, you're right. I don't know what grade this was. I think I read it in the article, but it's not something you do. You don't sneak into a school and start beating up the teacher unless the teacher, you know, somehow assaulted your child. And um, I think just disciplining a child or saying that, you know, they're in trouble for X, Y, and Z is, is no reason to go and literally start punching someone in the face, right? Um, clearly uncalled for absolutely wrong. And I think you're right. It sets a horrible example for her daughter. Her daughter now thinks that uh, when she says, my mom's going to take care of this, the expectation is that her, the mom is going to go in there and, 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 and beat somebody down. And come on, really, come on. Is that what we're trying to do here? We're just going to create a generation of very, very problematic people and uh, a shrinking population. I mean, because people are eventually going to be like, you know, if this is what's going to happen. I don't want to be here. Right. They're going to move away, try and go somewhere better. So I think you're right on, on that front, Trixie. Thank you for your call. Big shout out to everybody listening on WTNY, Watertown, New York. Uh, let's see. We have time. We're allowed to continue. I love it. Uh, let's go to Jeff Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Uh, go right ahead. Mr. Valdez, and that, that's uh, uh, Valdez with an F, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> that, that's correct. How are you, man? Yeah, yeah. Just I was calling about your 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 question before. If anybody's ever beat up a teacher, uh, no, I never beat up a teacher. But I was a disrespectful uh, young little puke when I was in school, yeah. and and I had this one teacher, Mister Clark. It, it, he didn't like me. I didn't like him, and it was just I, I made his everyday job. Having me in his class, it's a living hell. I really did. And this is back in the days of Chief and Chong, uh, you know, and uh, 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 Tommy Chong uh, addressing Sergeant Stadanko. And so uh, Clark comes into the room, and I look at him, and I said, oh, wow, look at your hair, man. And he literally <laughs> came across the room. He just dragged me out of my desk chair, took me out <laughs> in the hallway, slammed me up against the locker doors, 
and and I can't repeat the words that he used on a, a radio show. But yeah. I'm telling you what, he taught me a lesson. He taught me a lesson. I I never I know I I never was a bad kid in his class. Uh, and that's great. You know, you know after that day, and, <laughs> and I had another teacher that I ran my mouth too much, and he literally taped my face. My mouth closed with duct tape. <laughs> oh, this is so good. You know, uh, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 45, and I had some teachers that they weren't this bad, but they weren't afraid. That's for sure, Jeff. Um, I can I could share a couple of war stories here with you. I had a teacher, uh, probably fourth and fifth grade. And these guys were like the um, the guys that were outside in the schoolyard, making sure everybody did what they had to do, and uh, made sure you were in you know in line in the morning. Uh, it was a handful of them, right? I think the homeroom teacher was a guy named Gerald Banker. Jerry Banker was a really good guy, but he was tough. And the the other two guys were really tough. Uh, a, a black guy, his name is Lacey Shaw, and he had like a very small little afro, but a uh, nice, nice guy, you know, like the gazelle glasses. And uh, a heck of a guy, always smiling, but he was serious when he had to be. And the other guy was always serious. His name was Marty Benowitz. And a uh, white guy... Um, had like a mullet, really, really nice guy as well. And, and I, and I got along with them and they had they both had a good demeanor and a good sense of humor. But every now and again, when I would, uh, get a little crazy, get out of line, you know, and, uh, give a little attitude, uh, these, these guys were no stranger to grabbing you by your bicep and squeezing you like you were, like you were their kid <laughs> and just, you know, manhandling you. And I remember thinking, if I tell my dad this happened, my dad's going to squeeze me even harder than these guys. So definitely not doing that. And it was a different era, right? And people say we internalize trauma and we uh, institutionalized abuse and all sorts of things. But I think it also institutionalized and internalized respect and, and a, a fear of healthy discipline. Anyway, um, those were some of my stories. And uh, those guys were great teachers. Big shout to them. I don't even know if they're alive anymore, but uh, if they are, thanks for your service. And we continue with the rest of your calls. We got calls from West Virginia, from Albany, New York, and more. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're doing Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio has ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Well, I mean, it is what it is, so uh doesn't change the fundamental facts. We got There are four fundamental facts that... Hunter Biden gets put on the board of Burisma. Uh, he's not qualified to be on the board. He gets, he gets put on that board and gets paid a million dollars a year. Second, as I said, he's not qualified to be on the board. He said so himself. Third, uh, in Dubai on December 4th, 2015, the executives at Burisma, Mr. Zolachevsky, 
um, Mr. Pizarski specifically asked Hunter Biden, can you weigh in with D.C. and help us with the pressure we are facing from the prosecutor general in Ukraine? Um, Hunter Biden makes a call. Devin Archer told us he made a call to his dad, to Joe Biden. And then three days later, uh, Joe Biden goes to Ukraine and conditions the release of American tax money on the firing of the prosecutor applying the pressure to the company that Hunter Biden set on the board of. Those facts, they don't change what, regardless of what this, uh, this confidential human sources said. All right. Now, that is, of course, uh, Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan uh, from uh, the United States House of Representatives explaining that whether the witness lied or not, it didn't change the facts of the case. And uh, according to uh, Jonathan Turley, a legal scholar uh, writing in The New York Post, the lying witness doesn't exonerate the Bidens at all because, um, as he puts it, uh, Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov once joked that in America, you can always find a party. In Soviet Russia, the party can always find you. And this defendant they're talking about is Alexander Smirnov. He's not a comedian, uh, but he is about to discover the truth of said statement, according to Turley, saying that Smirnov is now this defendant in federal court being charged by special counsel David Weiss for spreading a false story about Hunter Hunter Biden and receiving $5 million from Burisma. Uh, Of course, Burisma being the Ukrainian energy company where Hunter was uh, on the board. The allegation produced a stampede of Democrats who saw this as, uh, you know, an indictment that clearly uh, exonerated Biden. And that was that saying that, you know, no more. But others are saying that the charges revive this previously debunked story that Hunter Biden's laptop could be Russian disinformation. So voila, we have a new story on our hands. Uh, I don't know which uh, which one you believe, but I can tell you that I think that uh, Jim Jordan's on to something that irrespective of this person being convicted of whatever and whatever and being a liar, uh, it doesn't change the facts of what Hunter Biden actually did do. And this person corroborating that. So uh, but of course, did lie. So I understand the detriment of it. The government also points out that Smirnov's admitted uh, to having contacts with Russian intelligence officials and previously scheduled meetings with these uh, figures uh, to express express that he is a flight risk. So I don't know what happens here, but uh, interesting story about this. And earlier today, James Biden, who is the brother of President Biden, um, well, he was in the hot seat as well. And we have a little audio on that. Let me uh, get cut number 20. Obviously, James has already come forward and said that uh, he didn't have any sort of, um, you know, using his brother's name in any way to advance his own business interest. Uh, what did you make of, of his testimony? I think he specifically said that he trusted Hunter. Um, so he said his verification that um, the Chinese businesses that they were doing uh, millions of dollars of deals with, that was, in his understanding, not related to the Chinese Communist Party, um, his verification of that was just asking Hunter a question. So we have uh, this response that it was simply just asking a question. Hmm. I don't know if we buy that. 
Um, Joe Bi- James Biden said that Joe Biden was present for a call about this uh, now bankrupt hospital firm. And the president's brother is saying that it allegedly got fleeced. So his, this is younger brother, James Biden. He says that back then the future president who was uh, sitting next to him on a call about this currently bankrupt hospital business, um, they got had, according to a new report, that this all happened with connections to what Hunter Biden was doing with a particular Chinese businessman in July of 2017. And saying, uh, you know, I'm sitting here with my father which uh, many are saying was a shakedown text message, you know, saying, look, I'll do this if you do that. Quid pro quo, Joe. Quid pro Joe. I don't know. Doesn't seem good to me. Anyway, Biden also met with the founder of AmeriCorps Health Enterprises before it went belly up. And at one point he was uh, penciled in for an equity stake. Um, Now, current presidential physician, Dr. Kevin O'Connor, even participated in a business meeting at a Pennsylvania hospital with James Biden after the facility was acquired by AmeriCorps. So, yeah, listen, I'll get you the president's doctor. You just sign right here, sign on the dotted line. And we, the brand new uh, facility they buy now, um, you know, expanding uh, who gets to go and what's, what's who, who's who and what's what. I don't know, friends. I don't know. But if I had to guess, this sounds extraordinarily fishy to me. Anyway, I want to get to your calls. I uh, see we I left a few people on hold. Forgive me. Let's go to, let's see, who is it? Joe, Salem, Arkansas, KSAR. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich, uh, that story you read about uh, beating up the teacher, boy, that uh, brings back some memories. I uh, I was having trouble. My, my mother, grew, uh, she was a Jehovah Witness at the time, and we grew up pretty passive. I got beat up all the time and made fun of and put out in the hall for every holiday party they had. And the teacher just absolutely didn't like uh, the way I the way I interacted or didn't interact with the other kids. And then they started picking on me. I was a little bitty guy then, and I grew up later. But my mother got tired of hearing about it, went down to school and told the principal, I'm going to go down and talk to this teacher. And when she got down there, she... Uh, sixth grade teacher named Miss Mrs. Tim T Y M. She says uh, he'll never amount to anything because he's nonconformist. He's got a uh, OCD, and uh, he he tells uh, the kids all the time the school's full of lies. There's no Santa Claus and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and so she, my mother said, "Well, listen, that's his that's his beliefs. That's our beliefs." And uh, I don't think the woman thought. There would be any violence, but finally, when she said I wouldn't amount to anything, that's when my mom had it. <laughs> she raised her hand to her and was going, she said, I'm going to knock your block off, and <laughs> chased her down the hall, and the woman ran to the principal's office. Wow. And then that we got we got the stairway, and my mom says, you know what, I'm in trouble. Uh, <laughs> let's go. And we, we shuffled down the stairs to the ground floor and went through the park, where I used to get beat up all the time, to the house. She locked me in the house said, I, and keep my purse until your dad gets home. I'm going to sit right here. Cops will be along. <laughs> but they never did come. So that's wow. basically, in a nutshell, the, the story about Mrs. Tim in my sixth grade class there. She was she was getting ready to bust her. <laughs> Amazing. 
amazing. I, I didn't think we were going to get a call like this uh, tonight of somebody saying their mom actually went there to, to beat somebody up on their behalf. Uh, amazing story, Joe in Salem, Arkansas, KSAR. Uh, the rest of your calls and more are coming up. Uh, we got Albany, New York coming up, Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, let's see what else we have. Uh, a little KDKA action, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. night with rich valdez call now 833-4-VALDEZ that's 833-482-5337 833-4-VALDEZ that's valdez with an s all right america welcome back amigos we continue with your calls and let's see Justin, Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC. Justin, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yes, sir. I was just telling a little story. I um, I moved from the ghetto to the sticks, and I was a little smart mouth, I'll admit it. Um, and I got picked on in what I called the rich kids school, where they had a pool and they played all kinds of stuff and were kind of leisure. Well, I got hit in the face getting picked on with a soccer ball in the pool so you couldn't really run after anybody and then the fifth time I had jumped on somebody's chest in the pool and held them underwater and punched them in the face till I swelled their face up and the teacher jumped in and thought that I was just making a big big trouble but when I told the whole story to her the principal they suspended me I went home and I didn't know my grandfather got home before me and he worked for Bethlehem Steel uh, and we were kind of poor well, when he found that out and he heard the whole story and saw it wasn't my fault, he called the school and he told them, if you have any problem again at that school and my boy is kicked out for somebody picking on him, I'm coming up and I'm going to whoop the principal's ass and the guidance counselor's <laughs> ass because I can't afford to lose work. I love it. How did they respond to that? Uh, they said, yes, sir, Mr. Barber. Yes, sir, this. Yes, sir, that. Uh, the next day I went right back to school cause he told them he ain't missing a day or he ain't missing a class. And, uh, that's what happened. Wow. It worked. Yeah. I tell you, it's amazing how things were so simple back in the days. You could just straighten things out. Now people double down on them being wrong. And I understand two wrongs don't make it right, but real life is still real life. And at the end of the day, you can either be the guy punching someone else in the face or the guy getting punched in the face. And uh, I'd rather not get punched in the face. And I'm not saying we should go punch anybody in the face, but I'm saying sometimes you just got to be tough and stand your ground. Justin, great call. I appreciate it. Uh, big shout out to everybody in Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC. Let us continue with Linda in Albany, New York, WGDJ. Linda, go right ahead. Well, thanks for taking my call. I'll have to I'll be quick, but I'll have to comment now two things. Uh, first, in school, 
and I was usually the quiet type uh, behaving. This one day, everybody was chewing gum, it seemed like, in the one class, and I thought, what the heck, I think I will too. Well, then the teacher calls us all up to throw it in the can right next to his desk. So when I got home, I said, how come to my mom? Today was only the first and only time I I chewed gum and, you know, did something like that. And she said, well, that was the problem. The teacher figured by the time the quiet kids were getting and doing that stuff, too, that she'd have to do something about it. So. Hmm. Um, but the main reason I was calling was uh, thank you for having the uh, things about the orphanages and people right. in them. Sure. I was a volunteer uh, for a little while in one, and uh, the kids go through so much. One child um, that uh, I was uh, helping there, he had seen his father murder his mother and that's why he was in the orphanage wow. people don't realize yeah some of the things that uh, they've had to deal with so thank you for uh, bringing the man on that was uh, explaining some of the things that were happening oh it's my pleasure uh linda it's always uh, a pleasure to, to to you know speak with these folks that have these interesting stories and regarding the story you shared i remember being a kid and somebody in a lower grade than me, I remember, uh, was the younger sister of like a friend of mine who was my age and she was a cute little girl. Um, and I, I saw her and she said, hello. Cause I knew who her brother was. And I was like, Oh, how are you? And she was like, yeah, good. And again, I was, if I was in sixth or seventh grade, you know, she was like in fifth grade and I was like, oh, are you good? And I was like, you know, um, all right, take care. And I don't know. I said something like, you know, you should teasing her. She was in front of her house. I was like, you should probably get home before you get in trouble. You know, your mom comes looking for you. And, uh, and, and she said, she's like, Oh no, my, my mom, um, my, my mom's dead. And I was like, Oh, Oh, I didn't know that. Sorry. I was like, well, your dad then. And she was like, well, no, my dad, my dad's in jail. And I was like, Oh, I was like, why is your dad in jail? And she was like, Oh, for killing my mom. And, and I was like, so floored, right? That you know, there wasn't a joke being played on me. It was, it was like, holy crap! This girl just dropped this bomb on me, and you know, I wasn't prepared for that. And you know, we don't realize what kids go through. So you know, similar story to yours. Um, it's a, it's more common than I think many of us think, which is a sad thing. Linda, big shout out to you and everybody in Albany, New York, WGDJ. Coming back to the rest of your calls and more. Do not move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Bobby, it's the speed round. Let's keep it short and sweet. Charleston, West Virginia, WCHS. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Good talking to you. Hey. Likewise. There's one thing that's for sure. 
the people that are doing this sort of thing, they defy authority and they have to exact revenge on people who catch them. So they do violence against the people to get even when they should actually put their hat in their hand and say, listen, I did wrong. And uh, you're talking about the mom that beat up the teacher. Yes, I sure am. And I was also seeing the similarity between that and even people in in the media, such as Fonnie Willis, where she uh, goes before this church, gets an award and uh, basically acts the victim instead of actually going there and apologizing for taking a married man as a boyfriend and then hiring him uh, when he's not even qualified to do the job and then funneling all this money into his hands and then go out and all these junkets all over the place. He, she should be, you know, uh, some sort of contrition. You know what I'm saying? She yeah. should actually say, listen, I messed up. And, you know, I understand getting even with people and stuff when you actually have righteous indignation, you know, when somebody really does you wrong, go in there and smack them hard or something, you know, well, when I think nothing that's else what works. I think you're right, Bobby. And I think that's what makes bad guys, bad guys, right? That they, uh, they do the wrong thing and they do it often and they do it without remorse because or without any rhyme or reason to it because they're not just um, uh, responding or retaliating. They're just pretty much bad people. And, and I think that's the case here. She's looking for her own career. She's out to get Trump uh, by hook or by crook. Doesn't matter if he's committed the crime. She's here to prosecute either way. Bobby in Charleston, West Virginia, WCHS. Thank you, sir. Let's go to Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U, and check in with June. Quickly, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. I just wanted to also thank you for your guests tonight. They were um, very informative, and I just really, great show, as usual. Um, and I my comment had had to do with the, the lady, which to me is just abhorrent. Um, such behavior. No wonder we have kids acting out the way they are. And also to let you know, I grew up, graduated in the great class of 69. (laughs) And um, um, I was born and raised in Lancaster County, which is, you know, a lot of farm country. But we had um, something similar to a caller before, um, a guy who his sole job was to go keep peace in school, right? And his name, and I kid you not, was Mr. Warden, W-A-R-D-E-N, <laughs> <laughs> which was a bit of a joke behind his back. Um, he actually looked like a prison warden, and he was built like an armored truck. And he would grab a guy and throw him up against the lockers. Now, he wouldn't use bad language with him, but boy, would he get right. in his face. But he had to be tough. And you know, Linda, uh, excuse me, June, forgive me, we're out of time, but it reminds me of some shop teachers I had. There was two brothers. One was a shop teacher. The other was a gym teacher. And both of these guys, they would curse up a storm and grab guys, and they weren't playing. Thank you, Linda. Big shout-out to WEEU. And hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America, take care. Good night, and God bless. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.